Psalm 108. My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Save us and help us with your right hand, that those you love may be delivered. God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph I will parcel out Shechem. I will measure up the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah is my scepter. Moab is my wash basin. On Edom I toss my sandal. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God, you who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? Give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God, we shall gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. This is God's word. Evening, everybody. My name's Phil. I'm the associate minister here. It's lovely to have you with us. Um, let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father God, we, we dare to pray that as we look at Psalm 108 tonight, that you might stir us to live uh, lives that are courageous and bold, uh, and that we might involve ourselves in things that are exciting and things that last for eternity, because we share a vision of who you are and what you are doing. We ask this for your glory and for our good. Amen. Now, the 18th of June, 2021, was the 40th anniversary of an event I don't think anybody here would be able to guess, of Project Pearl. Project Pearl was probably the most daring smuggling operation of the entire 20th century. They weren't smuggling guns or alcohol or illicit drugs. They were smuggling Bibles into China. One million Bibles in one night. Extraordinary event. It was undertaken um, by the organization Open Doors. It was founded by Brother Andrew, a former Dutch commando, who after the Second World War, when he uh, and his subsequent conversion to, to follow Jesus, started to protect and look after Christians, in particular in communist countries where they were facing brutal oppression. And the Chinese workers at Open Doors met this incredible lady called Mama Kuang, whose uh, picture will appear. That's Mama Kuang. When her husband was thrown into prison, as happened to pretty much every uh, pastor at the time, she took over running the network of house churches that he'd been looking after. And it really flourished under her leadership. And so she said to Open Doors when they said, you know, how can we help you? She said, well, uh, can you give me 60, 000, sorry, 30,000 New Testaments, please? Uh, okay. And a group of businessmen and women managed to smuggle these thin New Testaments in their luggage going to a number of trade fairs. And so in the late 70s and early 80s, they managed to bring in 30,000 New Testaments and felt pretty good about themselves. I mean, that's an amazing feat. And she said, great, wonderful. I now need a million Bibles because if everybody who we have contact with is going to have a Bible, we need one million. Thank you. Uh, okay. <laughs> And so Project Pearl was born. 
Now, at the time, the restrictions on Christians in China were even more severe than they are now. So there was no hope of printing Bibles there. In fact, most Chinese Christians had never had a Bible of their own. The communist government was trying to stamp out Christianity as brutally as it could still at this point. So they had to print them in the States, and then they shipped them to the Philippines and loaded 232 tons of Bibles onto a barge. They wrapped them in these big, um, you can probably see, um, these big blue plastic bundles that would float, and they chugged slowly across the the South China Sea to um, a little place called uh, Shantou, where there was a beach. And during the nights, they flashed the torches and the local Christians waded out into the shallows and the packages of Bibles were floated to the shore. Extraordinary, they weren't spotted by the watchtowers. The closest one was only half a mile away. But as luck, or God's miraculous providence would have it, the guards who were on duty that night thought they would have one drink before going on duty. Got absolutely blind drunk and fell asleep. And so never, never saw what happened. And from that beach, those million Bibles spread right the way across China. Now, one of the open doors workers, a guy named Paul Estabrook, one of his most treasured possessions is this tattered, old, falling apart Bible. It was one of those Bibles. And on that night, it had been handed to a young Chinese pastor. He'd never owned a Bible before in his life. Before, what he would have to do is cycle 20 kilometers each weekend and to meet with a a Christian pastor who did have a Bible, make his notes from that man's Bible, and then cycle back to teach his little house church. But now he had a Bible of his own. And so with his Bible and his bicycle, he got busy. And by the time that Bible uh, had fallen apart so much it could no longer really be used and was handed over to Paul Estabrook as as a memento, this young man was leading a network of 400,000 young Christians. Extraordinary. Project Pearl happened because believers like Mama Quang and Paul Estabrook, they had the same view of God that David has in Psalm 108, that he is a God for all the peoples of the world. And so the message of Jesus needs to be spread everywhere. That he is a God who's mighty enough to protect his people, even from a mighty communist government. And that he is a God who can enable the gospel to flourish in any situation. And that same God, the God of Psalm 108, he is with us here tonight, with us in post-Christian London. And he calls each and every one of us to the bold adventure of taking the gospel out in the face of human opposition and aggressive atheism and cancel culture and hostility and and our weakness, confident that as verse 14 puts it, with God we will gain victory. And as hard as 21st century London is, it is not as hard as it was in 1980s China. Now, Psalm 108 is actually formed of the second half of two other psalms, Psalm 57 and Psalm 60. The second half have been stitched together to form a new psalm. And both those psalms, they're psalms of lament, they're communal lament, as David says, look, everything's going wrong. But in the second half of each psalm, David turns from desperation and danger to bold declaration. 
from begging God to rescue for pra- to praising God because he's so confident that God will do what God has said. And it's therefore a psalm that is raw encouragement. All the difficulty has been stripped out, and Psalm 108 is just the encouragement from these two psalms. So, uh, verses 1 to 5, God will be known and praised in all the earth. Now, Psalm 57 tells us the context for these five verses. David has been anointed the king of Israel by Samuel. He is the, the true king, God's choice, but Saul remains on the throne. And Saul has demonstrated his attitude towards David being anointed uh, with the sharp pointy end of his spear. And so David's on the run with his band of fugitives out in the wilderness being hunted down like animals by Saul. And at this particular point, they fled into a deep, dark cave where they're hiding out in the wilderness. You can read about it in, in 1 Samuel 22. But here's the thing. While David's body is trapped deep in the cave, his thoughts have soared up freely to highest heaven. And he proclaims, verse 1, My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. In spite of the, the danger and the hopelessness of his current situation, he refuses to let doubt and fear have the last word. And so he resolves, I will sing to God from the very bottom of my soul. Singing to God can be an act of rebellion. Has been for about a year. A <laughs> uh, rebellion Ben wishes we would join and sing, um, but it won't be long. It won't be long. But uh, not that kind of rebellion, not against government restrictions, but a rebellion against doubt, a rebellion against misery, a rebellion against spiritual apathy, against the hopelessness of the situation in which I find myself. It is a declaration. I will not let my faith be ruled by my feelings. I will cling to God's character and God's promises. I will shape my life around what God says in his words rather than what I can see with my eyes. And so I will sing God's praises. I love verse 2. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. It's basically, he, he sings so loudly that the sun sort of hears the commotion and thinks, oh gosh, I must have missed the time. The day's already begun, I better rise. And the sun rises. If you've ever been in a house on Christmas Day with small children, you'll know exactly what's going on in this verse. Verse 3. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. Now, the particular thing that David has been able to grasp that makes his soul soar and his voice sing is the spread of God's kingdom throughout the earth. Now, I don't think he's saying here, the day will come when I will be brave enough to stand in the middle of a pagan city and sing a solo to God surrounded by hostile people. Worst nightmare for many of us, singing a solo in front of a whole heap of hostile people. I mean, certainly if you've got a voice like mine and you sing a solo, the the crowd will be hostile. But David is not talking about that. Rather, he's seeing the time when peoples from all nations will join in the praises of the one true God. When he will sing, but his voice won't be alone, for the voices of all peoples will be joining with him. It's, it's actually mind-blowing confidence when you think about it. David is God's anointed king, his Messiah. But at this point, his entire kingdom comprises one dank little cave. 
But he takes God's promises to be bankable certainties. And so he's able to see beyond himself and what he might achieve. And he can see the spread of God's good, glorious, life-giving rule throughout the world. And he's confident that God will be praised among the nations because, because he knows God will be loving to his people and faithful to his promises. Verse 4. For great is your love, higher than the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. In other words, if, if God's love is one enormous pile of gold coins, and every time that God acts in love, it's as if he cashes in one of those coins, takes it off the pile. And God's faithfulness is another huge pile of gold coins, and every time God acts to fulfill something he's promised and is faithful, one of those gold coins is cashed in. The piles will never, ever run out. They reach to the highest heavens. Now, all our resources are finite. We get compassion fatigue. We get short-tempered. We get grumpy. Some days, I've exhausted the meager pile of my love before I've even got through breakfast. But God's resources are infinite. His love and his faithfulness for you will never run out. And so David prays boldly, verse 5, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. It's actually exactly the same prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And that kingdom of God is spreading throughout the whole world. Right now, today, the kingdom of God is growing in North Korea, in Iran, in Turkey, in Egypt, in Saudi Arabia. The church is growing. The end point to which history is heading is the worldwide worship of Jesus. We saw that uh, last year as we looked at Revelation. Uh, Revelation 7 tells us what is going to happen. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude, no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, London's full of people in white shirts singing, <laughs> but they're not from every nation. But one day, all, pe- all nations will join the praise of Jesus Christ. And his kingdom is spreading right now through the nations. And I urge you, if you haven't yet done so, join the kingdom of Jesus now, while you still have time to receive his forgiveness in his life. But how on earth is this going to happen? How is God going to be praised throughout a world where so many of the people are either apathetic or even openly hostile to this gospel message of Jesus Christ? Well, for the answer, David moves from Psalm 57 to Psalm 60, where we learn God will deliver his people and God will bring the victory. Firstly, God will deliver his people. Verse 6, save us and help us with your right hand that those you love may be delivered. God's people cry out to him, calling for deliverance. And then in verses 7 to 9, we hear the voice of God as he answers. Verse 7, God has spoken from his sanctuary. In triumph, I will parcel out Shechem. 
and measure off the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter, Moab is my wash basin, on Edom I toss my sandal over Philistia, I shout in triumph. I mean, what do you do <laughs> with verses naming a whole bunch of places you probably can't even get within 100 miles of on a map? I mean, Shechem and Succoth, Gilead and Manasseh, well, they're all part of the promised land. The first two, the first two places in the promised land where the patriarch Jacob set his feet. The second two, where they're the eastern edge, the eastern boundaries of the promised land of the Old Testament people of God. The places that would be most vulnerable to attack. The last places that would be reconquered when you liberate the land. In other words, if God is parceling out those places and owning those bits, it's a way of saying, look, Every single square foot of what God has promised his people, they will have and they will enjoy. Similarly, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter. Ephraim is shorthand for the ten tribes of the north, Judah is shorthand for the two tribes in the south. So all God's people will be protected, the helmet, and will rule the scepter. So these words are really a, an Old Testament poetic version of, of what the Lord Jesus says in John six thirty nine, when he declares, This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. All God's people protected. All God's people flourishing. And then we get to a verse that I guess is precious to many of us, uh, that many of us have probably memorized. Moab is my wash basin, on Edom I toss my sandal. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it helps if you look at a map. Uh, and as you look on the map, you see Moab to the south, Philistia to the west. Uh, sorry, Moab to, to the east, Philistia to the west, and Edom to the south. Now, at this time, those tribes are incredibly hostile to the people of God. For hundreds of years, they've been invading them, burning their crops, killing the people, even ruling over them for decades at a time. And so while those tribes are violently oppressing, there's no enjoyment of the promised land, there's no security, there's no peace. But one day, we're told there'll be utter defeat. Moab will go from a sword that threatens to kill to a, a wash basin. Defeated, brought low, just there for God to wash his feet in. Proud Edom becomes a box for storing sweaty sandals. Philistia completely conquered to rise no more. In other words, there will be lasting peace. Not a temporary ceasefire or a fragile peace like we, we perhaps see in Northern Ireland or um, between Israel and the Palestinians, but a lasting, unshakable, enduring peace. These verses are a reminder, therefore, and an encouragement. We are not promised the physical land of Israel. That was, that was always a temporary thing a visual illustration uh, for, for the time when God's people were an ethnic group, one ethnic group of people. But we have our own gospel promises now that God's people come from all the nations, promises of blessing and protection of which Israel's land and military victories were, were just a, an, a visual illustration, a model, a working model. And our, our blessings are the promise of life, 
and better still, eternal life in God's eternal paradise. The promise of forgiveness, redemption, freedom from sin and God's judgment. The the promises that we celebrated in Psalm 107. The promise that death, though still painful, loses its sting when you trust in Jesus. The promise of God's Holy Spirit living in us. We have protection too. The promise that the enemies who would snatch us out of God's hands, who would destroy our enjoyment of God's promises, they will be utterly destroyed. The devil will be cast into the lake of fire. The world will no longer oppress and tempt God's people, but will be a place of blessing. And even our own hearts will be free of the ugly, perverted desires that bring me shame and misery. We have far better promises than a lump of territory or a military victory. And actually, we can be even more confident than David because we've seen these promises answered. We've seen God's ultimate victory as Jesus dies on the cross to break the power of sin and death. We've seen his ultimate victory over death itself as he rose from the grave three days later. We've seen the Spirit poured out on the church and in his power, the gospel message going to the ends of the world. We've seen God protect and bless his people for century after century after century. And tonight he calls you, trust me that today I'm still doing that. God will deliver his people. And thirdly, God will bring victory. And this last section, this isn't hunker down, weather the storm, hang on to your faith, hide from a hostile world that asks questions, wait for Jesus to return. This is confidence, outward looking. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, God? You who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies. Give us aid against the enemy for human help is worthless. With God, we shall gain the victory and he will trample down our enemies. Now, the fortified city of Edom, most agree this is the great uh, rock fortress of Petra. I guess a number of you have probably even visited. Uh, Well might David ask, who on earth can lead a successful attack against a fortress made of solid rock? I mean, David was a great warrior, pretty handy with a slingshot and a pebble, but, you know, that's that's great when you've got a a giant made of flesh and bone to take out, but slingshot and pebbles against a fortress of brick and stone. But Christianity is not Disney. It's not, if you just look inside, you'll find the strength was always there. It's, it's look outside, look up to God and see that he is far more mighty than any of us. Our human aid is worthless, but if God is with us, no enemy can stand. It's an interesting section, though. It's not universally upbeat. Do you notice verse 11? Is it not you, God, who have rejected us and no longer go out with our armies? The people have known a time of difficulty when they thought they were trusting God, and yet everything has gone wrong. The army's been defeated, and they seem powerless. But the key thing David recognizes is that's no time to abandon God. Now, sometimes in God's wisdom, he doesn't answer our prayers, whether to keep us humble, to wake us up to our sin, or just because he has a better plan or a better timing. But when prayerful trust in God doesn't bring us the answer we want, the answer is not to turn away from God and trust me, 
is to cling humbly to God and keep crying out to him. Because even when God doesn't grant us the breakthrough we long for, God remains our only and our best hope. Now for the Israelites in David's day, these verses are fulfilled when Eden was at last defeated in 2 Samuel 8, later in David's reign. For us, this is about the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, going out to difficult places. Now the first five verses make that clear. They're all about the spread of God's kingdom and the peoples of the nations praising the God of the Bible. This isn't a military victory. This is people voluntarily coming to love the Lord Jesus and give their lives to him. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul reminds us that our weapons are not swords or assault rifles and our victories are not military slaughter where people die, but individuals putting their faith in Jesus and finding eternal life. So we read 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Or as Paul puts it earlier in 2 Corinthians, We preach Christ Jesus as Lord. That's how spiritual Edom is conquered. Psalm 108 calls on us to play the part God has given us, to venture boldly out with the gospel message and tell others about Jesus. As Paul did in the first century, and and true Christians have in every generation since, we are to take the gospel message and take it to unlikely places. That's not a, a terrible burden of responsibility. It's a glorious privilege. The spread of Jesus Christ is the greatest cause in history. And you and I get to play a meaningful part in it. It'll mean different things for all of us. But I know some in our church are quite adventurous. Entrepreneurs who set up their own business. People who've served in the army all around the world. People who love to travel. Why not take those gifts, those character traits and give them to the greatest adventure of all. With God, I will... What? With God, David will take Edom. What about you? How do you complete that sentence? We can be confident in God as we share the gospel. Evangelism is daunting for almost all of us, let's be honest. But God is with us. And he is still conquering spiritual Edoms even today. He is the God who caused thousands of Jewish people in Paul's day to worship Jesus Christ, a man, as God. He is the God who a thousand years later caused pagan Britons to give up their gods and traditions and turn to Christianity in their tens of thousands. He's the God who a thousand years after that caused millions of Chinese men and women to give their lives to Christ, even though they knew it would cost them their jobs, probably prison. He is the God who today is opening eyes and hearts of literally hundreds of thousands of Iranians, in spite of the brutal persecution they know they'll face. 
one of the young men in this congregation chose to move to a strongly Islamic country a year or so ago to share the good news. And it's a place where the church is so small that it's basically a, a statistical anomaly. It's a rounding error in the census. But that doesn't worry Stan, because he knows the God of Psalm 108 is with him. It's no surprise to hear him tell me this is one of his favorite psalms. But that same God is, is not just out there, he's also in here. And he'll be with you tomorrow morning too. Now there is no promise that you will see success when you tell others about Jesus rather than be mocked or silenced or just thought of as weird. We leave the outcomes though in God's hands. But who knows what might happen if we trust him and try. In Christ, you are more than a conqueror. In Christ, you've been given a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And we need to lift our eyes beyond the numbing worldliness of London and its pursuit of wealth and see the God who is with us and dare to live lives of, of courage and excitement and importance like Mama Quang. Now, great adventures all begin with one step. So don't cross the sea to take a million Bibles to Saudi Arabia. At least don't do it tomorrow morning. Uh, but begin where you are. Cross the corridor or the street to tell somebody about Jesus. Or cross the invisible boundary with friends and family to speak of the things of God. There's a Christianity Explored course starting here at church next term. It's worth us all asking, are the people that just in my mind have just written off? No, 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 there's no way they'd ever agree to come. There's no way they'd ever become a Christian. There's no way I could invite them. I don't know. Who looks like the fortified city of Eden to you? Is it the confident success story? Who seems to have it all. Why would they listen to me? The intellectual atheist who frankly is better qualified and cleverer than I am. The Muslim. The out and proud. Who will you pray for? Who will you speak to? Who will you invite? As we were thinking last week, the redeemed of God are called to tell our story. What has God done for you in saving you? Who will you tell? For all who trust in Christ. We need to think and pray about how we'll complete this sentence. With God I will. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that your gospel is spreading throughout the world. Father, we thank you that that is because the Lord Jesus is true. He really died for our sins. He really rose to new life. We pray that we would put our trust in him. And having done so, would we join the grace adventure? Would you give us courage to take God at his word? Would you give us confidence to do what we can? that we might have the thrill, the excitement of giving our lives to the greatest cause of all, giving our lives to something which will matter in eternity. Father God, help us all to take the next step in your strength and for your son's glory. Amen.